Howdy and welcome back to another episode of the only podcast dedicated exclusively to effects pedals. That's right, the effects pedal fan club. If you love effects pedals um, and hearing a documentary filmmaker, a drummer that discovered effects pedals through fuzz and effects pedal builder, you are in the right place. You are amongst friends. I am Justin. I'm Vince. And I'm John. That's right. We got John Snyder from Electronic Audio Experiments on the podcast today. John, it's great to have you here. And um, looking at your pedal boards back there, um, looks great, man. How are you doing today? Can't complain. Thank you guys for having me. Um, I uh, we're, I'm, I'm reporting from uh, our office here in our apartment. This is where uh, EAE was kind of starting for for a long time, but now it's sort of uh, my wife's work from home office in my little recording studio nook, but. I'm uh, next week going into to work on uh, an ambient record. I've got a project called uh, Ember Wreath that I've been making ambient drone experimental music under since, well, for a really long time. And uh, I'm working on an LP um, and we're recording a couple of days next week uh, with uh, Miranda, who's one of the techs at EAE, but also an extremely uh, talented recording engineer. So I just have so much stuff just sort of unpacked in here trying to like come up with a good signal chain it tends to be you know structured improv like i'll come up with chord progressions and stuff like that and then i usually will try to find some textures to fit the mood so it's you know every delay reverb looper uh weird texture generator half the chase bliss lineup a uh, bunch of strange you know rack gear uh it's it's a little it's a little bit like a bomb went off in here but uh it's gonna be a cool sounding bomb when it's all done so <laughs> should be should be fun but yeah it's it's kind of kind of chaotic that um that's uh you're again amongst friends here john because the clubhouse we we have just been through now three weeks of reorganizing and i was like oh we've got it dialed and i was just down there today and i was like it is a disaster we're rebuilding boards pulling pedals trying stuff out and i've just kind of given up on the idea that there's going to be some sort of level of organization um, two things from that intro that we need to talk about. Um, one, I think we maybe can get into it a little bit when we talk about your board, but we are both kind of ambient textural people, uh, both Vince and I, I know Vince is a very kind of texture driven guitarist. And, um, like I think in, at heart, I'm probably a bass player, but I just love Les Paul. So that makes me a guitarist. I love, uh, the, the texture of, uh, like the edge and Johnny Buckland from Coldplay and that kind of like just, um, uh, laying like kind of pads and stuff. So I want to get into that. And that's kind of also how we discovered EAE a long time ago through the hypersleep. But before we get into that, we love the name electronic audio experiments. That is such a strong name, like in today's world of like branding and um, uh, POV, it just love it. So can you tell us how you got the name and where it came from? Yeah, thank you. First of all, I really appreciate that. Um, being being very close to it for a long time i'm like oh this name is kind of clunky but i've you know i've also kind of grown to love it too and uh it was actually the name of a blog that i had um so back in probably around like starting like 2013 2014 um i uh had started kind of building like vero board pedal clones you know the so many people's gateway into this sort of thing um, in an effort to connect some of the stuff I had learned in classes in college, because uh, I was a like a physics undergrad, but I took a couple of electrical engineering courses on the side, um, trying to connect those uh, concepts I learned with real physical stuff. Um, I've been playing guitar for a long time, and I I could you know I could swap pickups and 
replace the jack and do some basic soldering. And I'd done a couple of, you know, sort of solder by number kits uh, when I was in high school, but, uh, you know, really starting to dive into it. And the blog was called Electronic Audio Experiments because, well, that's, that's what I was doing, right? And in 2015, um, I kind of, so bought, this is, I, I've told the story a million times and it never gets old. And I also feel like it might happen to me again, which is that in winter 2015, after about a month of nothing, Boston got pummeled with like three or four nor'easters. And we had a total of over a hundred inches of snow. And so at the time I lived in a basement apartment and that apartment got just absolutely uh, we were buried and so i was subsisting off of frozen pizzas and cases of beer i did not want to dig out my car i just was breadboarding all the time and the result of that uh electronic audio experiment uh was the original longsword um and so you know i i, I was in uh, a couple of bands at the time one that was sort of like uh you know sort of like early 2000s like uh post-hardcore type thing and then another that was kind of like in the like 90s like screamo uh post-rock sort of vein um and so i had i had these recording opportunities coming up i really wanted to to make my sound more like me and so i tried taking bits and pieces of all my these sounds i liked and uh that was where the longsword came from and i had a prototype that i used in those records it was very very janky uh it was like falling apart but we could like you know prop it up just right so that it wasn't cutting out and record a take with it and uh, people liked how the guitar sounded on those records. And uh, I ended up doing a batch of 15 of those uh, that summer. They were hand-painted, hand-drilled, uh, looked terrible. The board barely fit in the case, but people took a chance on us and bought those 50, well, took a chance on me. I was doing these on like a folding table in my in my terrible little apartment. Um, but people bought those and uh, that was like the money that we used to kind of get started. And uh, I immediately figured out how to like make more of them because i was like well dang this is a lot more money than i'm making in grad school <laughs> you know um and uh you know at least at the time it was just like this this like explosion of activity and so then i did the model fet shortly after that and then we kind of grew out of there but all this to say yeah like this was a this was a blog that i was using to sort of catalog uh my my experiments like things i was picking up and it would be, you know, pictures of uh, things I was working on. It was like old test equipment I bought at the MIT flea market, uh, which is a fun thing that happens around here. Um, you know, schematics of cool stuff that I found, like my attempts to understand things. I was very inspired. There's a blog called uh, Atomium Amps, which is run by this guy named Matt Weed, who uh, was an amp tech based in Philadelphia and also the guitar player for the band uh, Rosetta, this killer post-metal band. Um, and he had a, just a really great writing style um, and would document all of his amp repairs and all of his modifications. And eventually he started getting into original amps and original pedal projects. And uh, I just really admired what he was doing. Um, he never really had an interest in kind of taking things commercially. Um, he just sort of, whatever came across his plate that was interesting, he would pursue that and write about it and take great photos and document his mods. and. Uh, so I really admired him and kind of wanted to emulate that, but very quickly found myself instead going down the route of building batches of pedals and selling them because we had something that at least a few people were interested in. So that's kind of the origin story of the whole thing. Uh, I, well, I love that origin story. The fact that like this, um, a business grew out of a blog is that basically what it is that was perfectly branded. I mean, I look like trying to find names as part of like what I do. 
um, I think about it all the time and like I've discarded so many names and electronic audio experiments is so freaking good. It's so good. So stoked on it. Um, I think the club, uh, all our club members need to know, um, neither Vince or I will ever start building pedals. I think we just need to say that right now, Vince. Is that right? I mean, I don't know if I, I, I feel like I could probably get into repair because I went to school to be an electronic technician. That's right. And Vince. so like, yep. I know how to solder and I like understand electrical components to a degree. But, um, I mean, my third semester of college is when I dropped out cause my buddy was like, Hey, our drummer can't go on tour. Do you want to go on a 35 day full us tour in two weeks? And I said, yeah. And I just left <laughs> and didn't come I love back. that story. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I, I, I definitely, there were a couple of times where I thought about doing the same thing, not on drums, but you know, <laughs> yeah. the appeal, yeah, yeah. the appeal was For there. Sure. College sucks. <laughs> I, I'm out. Um, that's, I love that. So, um, real quick side note, I think maybe I've told this story about our drummer and my, my high school band. Um, he, his name was Machu and he was, um, in a, that was his nickname. His parent wasn't his family name, but, um, he was in in line with a pair of Nikes to go like join the basketball team, like sign up. And we're like, Hey, uh, we need a drummer for our band. Our band at the time was called spatula. And mm-hmm. he's like, yep. Amazing. Turn the Nikes left the line right there and join the band. It was great. So crazy. What like music and rock and roll do to a person. That's the right? kind of energy you need, you know, um, <laughs> that's the kind of energy you like, need full commitment. It's good, it's good stuff. Um, well, um, so my question though is, is you said, this is how you started, and mm-hmm. you're like, it might happen to me again. So are you going to start another blog, or are you going to get another Nor'easter and some crazy stuff's going to come out of it? What's Where's EAE headed right now that you feel like this is the case? So, yeah, I think uh, it's been a suspiciously chill winter. Um, you know, it's been, it's been very uh, humid and rainy, um, and uh, it, not a lot of snow, not any Nor'easters, which means that February is waiting around the corner with a big stick, um, to, to tell us what's what. Um, so I'm, I'm expecting that we will probably be, uh, snowed in here and I'll probably go a little stir crazy and hopefully come up with something cool in that amount of time. That would be nice. Right. Oh, well we have faith. The club has a lot of faith cause you've done some really, really cool stuff. Um, our like relationship to you outside of this podcast is, uh, we, you maybe heard it on the last episode for people that are, uh, regulars to the club is the, the hypersleep, right? Um, I was, if you listen to the last episode, I was always been fascinated by reverb and the only analog reverb I knew of was like maybe stuff that they did in studios with like hall and plate reverbs and then spring reverbs, but everything else has been kind of a DSP or digital thing. And I think I was talking to Josh Scott about it. And like, I was like, oh yeah, the hypersleep is like one of the only analog reverbs. And I was like, Oh wow, what is that? And so that became my like obsession with EAE. Um, and I finally got my hands on one, uh, at, at the clubhouse now and we're so stoked on it. And also you heard that maybe if you listen to the other podcast, that I was worried that I actually froze it because it was in a mailbox during freezing temperatures, but apparently <laughs> that's not a thing. Um, Josh was like, that's not a thing. But I was stressed about <laughs> Can it. Confirm it's um, not a thing. Okay, <laughs> cool. Cause uh, I don't know how many, how many hypersleeps did you make? Um, I think the the grand total was somewhere around 350 to 400. I, I don't do a good job keeping track of these things um, because by the time we go to production, I'm usually off to the next thing. Um, I, you know, I'm like barely sure, thinking sure. about it. Um, the real answer is not enough. Uh, it's the the great yeah. the great uh, the greatest tragedy of my career so far is the fact that uh, we bought 
hundreds and hundreds of those chips to make to make you know we i was like hypersleep forever this thing is is our this is the hot new stuff um and uh we you know we we had a, a we hired a friend of mine who um works at a company that characterizes uh parts for uh like aerospace and military and like high reliability applications you know it's the kind of company that will buy uh, a you know a single FPGA that costs like five thousand dollars and test every single pin on it, um, and so this was child's play to him, thankfully. And uh, most of the chips were either counterfeits or they were salvaged from other equipment, and their the quality just wasn't there. Like they had been kind of damaged, or you know, humidity, static electricity, all these things take their toll. BBDs do kind of have a shelf life if they're not uh, stored properly. I mean, all all components do, and so. We took the ones that were good and we we put them to use, um, but a uh, bit of a bit of a tragedy, I think. And uh, I can talk more about this, but so much of my R and D efforts over the last several months have been coming up with ways to t take the lessons that we learned from that pedal and uh, reincorporate them into new products and ideas. Um, there's a there's a little bit to unpack there because I always think that like oh if you buy an effects pedal it's going to last forever I always like them it's like oh we're going to be stewards of these pedals and then if we ever need to sell them because we need a new driveway or things are tight you can always get rid of them is there mm -hmm. a world where like these pedals aren't going to work anymore and I should just like rethink this whole thing well uh, I, I feel like these are lifetime investments I think that on the scale of human lifetimes pedals are a fairly safe investment um good you know that's <laughs> When, when, That's reassuring. Then. When there's you know nuclear Armageddon or water wars or something, we don't have to worry about these anymore. But I think they'll I think they'll be just fine for now. But it's amazing how many yeah. cool parts. <laughs> it's amazing how many cool parts yeah, are yeah. sitting in warehouses and stuff like that uh, that you know people don't know about. And you you know you can call up just some random dude in Malaysia who's just got like a stockpile of parts, and sometimes uh, it'll be something useful. Ninety nine point nine percent of the time it's crap, but every once in a while you can find stuff. That is useful for what we do and uh those are lucky moments we we really kind of uh you know as as my friend uh steve at demodash effects put it we hunted that ship to extinction <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> you had a question vince oh yeah do like uh would components have a longer lifespan once they're like part of a board and like an entire circuit um it, like in that just sense, stored randomly it, in Malaysia, or is it just uh, my the idea that when they're not attached to something, they're easier to get damaged or um, something to go wrong? That that's a it kind of but that I guess the answer to the question is it depends. Um, there are parts that are happier when they're hooked up to a circuit board because the parts that are supposed to be connected to ground are connected to ground, um, and uh, this is actually an issue with. Um, the like old sad uh, bucket brigade ships like the sad 1024 is this classic part in a lot of old uh courses and flangers um and uh there's nothing like it today so if you have a pedal that has one of those it is worth its weight in gold but those parts um they would like they will spontaneously just fail if they're left on a shelf because the pins can build up a charge um enough to to just you know it's all mosfets which are really sensitive to this kind of thing um, and so that's, you know, so there, it has led to some superstition about the, about these kinds of parts, but you know, when stuff is all built up, they, they, things tend to last, you know, your biggest risk is like capacitors drying out or the board oxidizing or, uh, you know, just the normal wear and tear of, of the eons passing us by. Okay. 
Um, do old Deluxe Memory Man have those chips in them? Because I'm really nervous now. I can't remember which models have it and which ones don't. Um, I can never keep all that stuff straight, unfortunately. There are, I think it's their old, I think it's the Vintage Electric Mistress that has the SAD 1024 chip. Um, yeah. I can never remember this. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I could, I could Google it for you, but, uh, off the top of my head. Yeah. <laughs> no, but no. there, there's some we'll, interesting... We'll, we'll, we'll... We'll deal with that anxiety on our own time right now, but this is great information. Um, I think I, w- I would like to, before we get into maybe what the hypersleep taught you and then um, some things that we want to get into a deeper dive into the episode, we got to know what's on your board right now. Yes. Um, so uh, prior to getting ready for this record I'm working on, um, I kind of, I like to keep a small, you know, like a pedal train nano, or I think it's the nano loaded up with just essentials for jamming. Um, you know, I've got random friends who I'll just meet up with and we'll just try to write a song on the spot. Um, and so, you know, you gotta have your, your essentials, a couple of drive pedals, uh, uh, some sort of modulation for things to keep, stay fun, you know, delay and reverb because obviously, um, and then like a, you know, like looper tuner or whatever. So my board for that purpose at the moment um, is, uh, I've got a picture in front of me, so I'm not gonna mess this up. Uh, first thing in the chain, turbo tuner greatest pedal ever made um can't sound good if you're not in tune i i I grew up playing classical violin and while my ear is not what it was uh at the time i was like actually you know taking lessons and playing in orchestras and stuff um i find that that i i tend to realize things are out of tune um before i actually know they're out of tune in the way that like you know sometimes your your wife can be like are you just hungry like are you are you you're mad because you're hungry right and i'm like yeah dang it you're sarah you're right i am mad because i'm hungry um you know the the uh you know this like uh, being a little bit out of tune is like that for me now i used to be good at it i'm not anymore the turbo tuner is so accurate that it's uh sol- it solves that problem um you know, in so much as like a fretted instrument can even be in tune because there's all sorts of weird equal temperament stuff and and weird things like that. But um, the the turbo tuner is something like 50 times more accurate than a TU2, um, and so it's just nice to kind of have that. And it's it's a nice UI. It's very snappy. Once you get used to it, it just feels it feels good. You could do setups with it too, which which is uh, pretty handy. You know, you can intonate a guitar very accurately because it's a strobe tuner. Anyway, here I am just talking about my friggin' tuner. Um, Next and, well, I mean, that's I an effects that pedal, and that's well within the, the fan club rules here. Yep. Gotta love it. Also, uh, I will say, uh, so I have the, the ST200, which is in like a 1590B size enclosure. It's a little bigger. And then the, the ST300, which is mini. And the mini one has such a nice switch in it. When you turn it on and off, there's like a very gentle ramp on, ramp off when you're muting. And so it's not like a click hard cutoff. Really well done. You couldn't get away with this for something other than a mute switch, but it's it's a killer mute switch. Go figure um, you know, it's like one of those little things that you're like, man, I wish more, more pedals were like this, but the, so the, the next in the chain after that is uh, death by audio interstellar overdriver deluxe. Um, this, this one is, uh, I got it in a trade, uh, from Noah at death by audio because we were next to each other at, uh, the, uh, effects pedal expo hosted by old blood noise in OKC, uh, this past December. And, uh, you know, they, they do lots of weird, like one-off colors and you know, he had like a whole spread and I was just sitting next to him the whole time and he was sitting next to me the whole time. We're just like looking at each other's boards. And I finally was like, dude, what can I trade for that interstellar overdriver deluxe? It's like gold print on blue. It's very cool looking. Um, and I've got a few death by audio pedals. I've never really had any of their lower gain offerings. And so I was excited to try it. 
he fires it up for me and I'm like, oh, there are, there's got like a rotary switch. There's six modes on it. Um, the first two modes are low gain, kind of what you'd expect out of the interstellar overdriver circuit, which is really, it's a cool, very textured kind of low gain, but kind of nasty sounding drive. Um, I'd always been kind of into it because uh, Tom York from Radiohead, etc., uh, uses uses one. Um, so I was like, oh, maybe this can get me the elusive body snatchers tone. Um, it sort of can. Um, that's a whole other matter because that's you know okay. they obviously did it direct into a into a board in the studio. Um, but it's a it's a cool sound. And but the other modes on this rotary selector are like just circuit bends on this pair of. Uh, interstellar overdrivers and so there's like a sort of like weird gated octave fuzz mode there's a mode where it just is pure noise there's a mode that's like super thick sludge it's very very fun um you know i was like i i was literally just going to get it because it looked cool and then i plugged it in i'm like oh this is something i can really use because you've got a channel of a very sweet sounding but not too sweet overdrive you can stack them together to get fuller sounds, or you can just turn the rotary switch to some random setting and sound like the end of the world. You really just, it doesn't get better than that in a fuzz pedal. So, so that's been, uh, that's been a lot of, I've, I've been really enjoying that pedal as of late. Um, so yeah, it's a good one. Next in the chain after that, uh, I have a halberd, uh, which I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about this, this episode. Oh, yeah. Um, that's, uh, you know, that's kind of like my base, my base tone. I usually leave it when I use the halberd with a lot of instruments, it tends to be like an always on just like adds a little bit of compression, but not very much. It adds a little bit of treble because I just, I like brighter guitar sounds. I like clarity. Um, and uh, it helps me just kind of like hit the front of my amp a little harder. It's just a, it just does the thing I want it to do. And the tone controls also let you kind of tune to the front end of whatever amp you're using. Um, especially when I'm jamming with friends, I'm like borrowing, you know, super combos and stuff like that. And, the depth control is really nice for taming like a woofy little open back combo. You know, it just it just sits really, really nice with that. So that's second in the chain. After that, I have my trusty uh, Ashwell Music Tools ACV1. Um, this is a pedal I think you guys would be really into. Uh, these were designed by, uh, th this is, so Ashwell Music Tools is run by my friend uh, Rick Hocker Shake, who is uh, a former engineer at a, a very famous synth company down in Asheville. Um, that starts with an M and uh, he, he has designed a lot of pedals in his career. Some that fetch completely insane prices on the used market. And uh, he's, he's, he's just an incredibly gifted analog circuit designer. He and I have worked together a whole bunch. We actually have, uh, you know, we, we have collaborated substantially in each other's companies. He's been a mentor to me. Um, I've helped him learn how to use Instagram. You know, it's a to totally fair trade, right? Um, <laughs> the, uh, and so you, um, you just helped us. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah. So have you guys ever played any of the, uh, the mini Foger, like chorus delay flange, any of those? So they were, yeah, we, we have one of the, we have one of the uh, analog delays, the mini ones. Oh, fantastic. In the clubhouse. Um, yeah. So this, so the, the, so uh, Hawker's one of, he, he was involved in that series. Um, yeah. Just to give you an idea. Real good series. It's, it's fantastic. And you know, it's unsurprising that they're worth so much money on the used market now after they were discontinued. But um, a lot of the ideas that he was developing in those products have since gone on to uh, other things. Um, you know, there was, a, he, he, he just is very, very gifted with bucket brigade chips and all of the supporting circuitry and the filtering and all it's, they're just, they're wildly complex to work with. All this to say the ACV is the best chorus ever made. And uh, I have yet to play one that even touches it. Um, it does the lush sort of, 
80s thing. It does the kind of tighter, like 70s chorus, you know, like an old like MXR chorus. Um, you know, the, it can do some, some swirly, like flange type sounds if you turn up the feedback, which even having feedback on a chorus is a really unusual sort of idea. You can change the phase of the feedback, which gives you like classic chorus swirl or this like kind of hollowed out, like almost filter mod thing. It's really cool. Um, and then you've got like a really nice uh, tone control as well. So you can do like murky chorus or you can do very bright shimmery chorus. And when you go, if you turn the mix up to 100% wet, um, you can get this really nice vibrato sounds, which you can then kind of do like worn out, you know, super dark tape or kind of like, uh, you know, old like gramophone cut all the low end out of it. So there's just so much you can do with this pedal. Um, it's a real like Swiss army knife of modulation sounds. And so it's had a place on every board I put together and, you know, since I got it, basically, it's just an amazing, this one's actually a prototype that I, you know, we were, we usually send prototypes back and forth to each other and tune them. And so I'll be like, okay, here's mine. We did this mod and send it back to you. You'll send it back up. And this was, I was like, once we agreed on everything, I, I tuned this up to the final spec and kept it for myself. So yeah, so <laughs> that's, it's a very, how, that's how you do it. Like it's you, a very sentimental unit, but uh, so let's just, I mean, you've gone so deep in that pedal and to say that's the best course you've ever played. We need to say it out loud. What is it again? So the, the club members can make note of it. Sure. So this is the, the actual music tools, ACV one, honestly, even to call it right. a chorus is um, doing it a disservice. Okay. Yeah. That's what I was wondering. A feedback on a chorus is real interesting. Mm-hmm. I like that Justin said for the, uh, for the listeners when I'm pretty sure that he was just referring to me as a fellow <laughs> chorus lover that has one on my chorus that is almost an always on pedal as like a chorus. Well, um, this one's well worth your time. It's a, it's an impressive piece of kit. Awesome. Um, that's great. Yeah. Cause that, that mini series that the, um, the Mooger Fuger stuff, they had the delay and they also had a drive that I was like really interested in checking out. I've just never been able to find it. The drive is bizarre. We, uh, we, one of my good friends loaned me one to try out and, uh, the, the drive sound isn't, it's very kind of like weird and tubby, but there's like a, a filter section in it, mm-hmm. which is killer. So you can kind of do the like right. cocktail you know, thing cuts through the mix like a knife. It's very, very cool. Um, the drive circuit is a little wonky, but if you keep the gain down, it's nice and clear. Yeah. Vince and I are like, um, do you know the, the fuzz, the, is it the plus ultra? Do you know that fuzz? It's like a fuzz with a, a, a filter that you can control with an expression pedal. Uh, I'm not familiar with that particular one, but that is a, a winning concept. The winning concept. Vince and I love that fuzz. Um, so- big time. Um, so like anytime we can get it like a filter section on the drive pedal, we're like, mm-hmm. yep, that's going to work. Absolutely. Um, now I'm looking at the ACV one right now, uh, the warping chorus and vibrato. Um, yep. We're definitely going to try to get one of these in the clubhouse and, All right. and uh, give her a run. This thing is rad. And then do you have anything else after the chorus? Yes. So that, we're halfway through the board <laughs> for a mini board. I sure oh, can. This uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so yeah. the, uh, so the next one after that is the Caroline guitar megabyte. Um, this is another mm-hmm. pedal that I actually had a hand in. Um, I, I've been I've collaborated with Philippe on and off uh, for a long time over the years, um, and he is he's just such a, a brilliant product designer. His his ears and vision are amazing. I just help with some of the nuts and bolts and PCB layout and the, that sort of unglamorous stuff. But um, you know the the Kilobyte was the first pedal I ever owned from Caroline, and uh, you know very quickly like. Literally, I think I was just like punishing Philippe about it all the time to the point where he was like, all right, I think we can actually be friends. 
Um, and, uh, <laughs> and so to get to work on the megabyte was a really cool full, full circle moment for me. That was like one of the first, like kind of big consulting projects that I got to be a part of. And, uh, it's, you know, it's the same kilobyte formula. It's like cool, like lo-fi gritty delay. Um, but with just this really useful, simple tap tempo, um, we had another collaborator, this guy, Scott McCombs, who's a great firmware designer, um, who did the tap tempo, the LFO, like tap divisions, all this fun stuff. And what's great is that on the original, you have the switch for Havoc. You know, if you hold it down, it, it, the feedback ramps up. And on this one, we consolidated the tap and the Havoc into one control. So you can get that tap tempo, but if you hold it down, the feedback will will swell. And so it's just a really, it's very performance friendly. It looks cool. It's, you know, it's got a lot of character to it. You can do a really like grimy, saturated thing or a surprisingly tight, like almost analogy sort of delay. It's, it's killer. Um, and uh, mine has a couple of, secret modifications on it because there were things we didn't decide on during production and uh one of them is the mod that ended up in the uh they they did that the like a limited run that was on like sort of skateboard wood um for the front panels it was like wood burned but it was kind of textured um has a mod to make the feedback a little bit more floaty and, and philippe had come up with a thing uh for that to uh to to basically just like have this like extra feedback mode so it was very cool it was definitely definitely really good so, so yeah, so that's Again, the next no, thing in the chain. <laughs> not, not available for the for all club members, right? That's something specific to your pedal, right? That that secret mode. Unfortunately, yeah. Um, I, this, I'm gonna I'm gonna call designer fiat on that one. And <laughs> <laughs> um, it is. Nice. I, I think you could maybe, maybe you could bug Philippe and Co about it. Um, but you know, <laughs> he's he's gonna be so mad at me. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Um. So what next, follows the delay? So after the megabyte is uh, my Maris Mercury Seven. Um, I love this thing. It's uh, you know the part of the reason I got it is because uh, Terry Maris is awesome, and he and I chat periodically. He is brilliant, just a really really gifted circuit designer, um, and very very forthcoming with with useful bits of trivia when you're in a bind. Um, and uh, also because it kind of serves the role of being a mini version of the CXM 1978, uh, which I have and love. But that thing, you know, it feels like it's such a, a sophisticated piece of kit. I feel bad stepping on it. So it lives on a send um, on my interface, you know, so I can I can usually when I'm recording like synthesizers and stuff, I'll sort of bus out audio to that. And, uh, you know, it's just it feels like a plug in that, that I get to have on my desk and play with the faders. It's great. And just gorgeous sound quality, super low noise. You really just can't ask for more. The Mercury 7 gives me enough of that like big, super like dense lexicon sound, um, but in a smaller package that I don't feel as bad stepping on. Um, and it's just a, such a cool looking pedal. But the one thing about it, and I've never seen anyone else talk about this on the internet, is that it's incredibly good at handling hot signals. Because once I've gone through up to, you know, three overdrive circuits and a delay that also has an overdrive circuit in it, you know, you bet I'm way, way hotter than like even line level. So for this, you know, for this reverb to take that super hot signal and just run with it and sound really, really good is a rare thing. There are some reverbs that I absolutely adore, which I can't use in this kind of gain staging setup because if they, if the signal's too hot, they start to crap out. And sometimes it's part of the charm and other times I'm like, man, I just wish that I could I could run my guitar and my pedals wide open and still have good reverb sounds, and this lets me be able to get the best of both worlds. So, um, we we too are big Mercury Seven fans. Um, that was like one of like the first like wow reverbs that I personally ever picked up. Mm-hmm. I love that pedal. 
love 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 that pedal and i don't know like like the nuance of like hot pedals driving a reverb like i, mean, I don't think my plane's you know cold man it's hot but um you know <laughs> uh but yeah no that's interesting you say that about that because i haven't heard people specifically talk about that i just love the cathedral reverb on that mm-hmm. and then i just use an expression pedal for performative stuff to control how like deep the mix is oh that's because that's I just a great idea going from you know, very like all reverb pedals in my world have to have a mix mix through the expression. Cause then mm-hmm. I like kind of a performative thing where I can have like one note that just sounds like the note. And then I have another note that I could play that sounds like deep space and just go back and forth on that. It's kind that's, of that's a great, that's a great idea. There's um in a kind of similar vein of uh, my friend, Alex Paul, uh, who he, he runs that company robot graves that makes aluminum necks and guitars um, who, if you haven't checked out, yep. you should, they're amazing. Um, he also plays in a post-metal band called Geary. Um, I think that's how it's pronounced. It's spelled G-I-R-I-H. And his live board is a, 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 it's a thing to behold. It's just incredible. But he has uh, basically a sort of, you know, he's got parallel drive chains because he's got uh, regular guitar and then octave down pseudo bass. And then he has a chain which is separate from that that has a volume pedal at the beginning that is a parallel split off of his clean guitar into multiple reverbs, a count of five, you know, a bunch of other stuff so that he can kind of on demand sort of summon a pad um, to, to accentuate his playing or fill the space between songs or, you know, provide these really dramatic builds. Or he can just have this like swirling cacophony of noise around him as he plays like a really heavy riff. And so, because, you know, him playing like, dun, 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 you know, just like heavy post-metal stuff, uh, will get sucked up into this, this you know, this like delay and reverb and granular stuff and just turn into a pad that sort of envelops the rest of his playing. So uh, you guys with the parallel chains are on to something and I should try to follow suit. <laughs> yeah, um, this this guy sounds, I can't wait to, <laughs> to talk to this guy because he's, is, he's good people. Uh, Alex Paul, I can put you all in touch if you're curious. Okay. He's he's great. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Anybody? Yeah, this, this is definitely, <laughs> yeah. this is club material here, John. <laughs> Because if one board's great, two boards is way better. Mm-hmm. Um, and then is are, do you close it out with the, that reverb or do you have something else beyond that? Last thing in the chain is my trusty Chase Bliss blooper. Um, that's much more of like a song, yeah, yeah. songwriting tool, but um, you know, you just it, it does what it's supposed to do. It's great for if I just want to let get a riff down and add some layers to it, that's awesome. If I want to take that riff and uh, mangle it to pieces, it'll do that too. So it's just a, it's just a great little friend to have on the board. Yeah, that's... Um, that's a great board. And then, um, I know you've probably going to do something different for your album. So when you, you know, get your EP done, uh, we'll get you back on so we can talk about the the board that you used for that. Cause that sounds like we're peas in a pod here. It sounds like Excellent. when it comes to pedal chains. Yeah. I'll, yeah, yeah. I'll be curious. I, um, you know, uh, I don't know what exactly it's going to, I know, I know the basics of it. You know, the, um, I've, uh, after years of not owning one, I was able to get a good deal on a hog V2 which is just, an, oh. you know, like the, the use price. I mean, the thing is like when that thing came out, it was like revolutionary. Nowadays, it's sort of this like quaint sort of, you know, characterful, weird guitar synthesizer, which I love about it. And uh, that it's going to be that um, a bunch of reverbs and I'm doing a, a shootout for the gnarliest fuzz that I can, I can find my arsenal. But so far the winner is the uh, Super Asilo 88 from Last Gasp Audio Labs, um, which is just this like, it's a, it's a little beast of a fuzz pedal. It's just one of those, like one of those fuzzes that has way too many toggle switches on it. And it's all just different circuit bends. Um, <laughs> but it doesn't very heavy sound. So I think that's what, what I'm going to use on this, but we'll, we'll see. 
Oh, I love it. Um, love so we've talked a lot about you know, what's on your board and, and uh, builder friends and relationships you have. I think that kind of came out serendipitously through that conversation about your board because you're obviously very tapped in uh, and helping other people. And that's the thing that I think both Vince and I love about the effects pedal building community is like, like there's no caginess. It's just like everybody is stoked about helping everybody else. And it's very hard to find that type of authentic stoke for, you know, basically, um, not like, I guess like we could call ourselves champions of the creative class, but I mean, you're engineers, you're building products, but there's no, like, you don't really withhold anything from one another. You're all trying to raise the bar and help each other out, which we, we absolutely think is like one of the coolest things about the building community. Right, Vince? Oh yeah. It's, it's, that's like one of the huge things that we, we reference on the podcast so much is that like the camaraderie between builders and the idea that, um, everyone's trying to help everyone else achieve just like a sound that whatever they're after, you know, cause there's no right or wrong when it comes to audio. Yeah. It's just, um, you know, it's, it's a neat community and it's fun to be part of it. And we, you know, like Vince and I talk about, like we're, we just get to like, uh, enjoy the fruits of everybody else's labor. <laughs> cause we have no idea how these circuits work or anything. We're just like, Oh, this sounds amazing. Um, so, but I think it's time to get a little bit into some of the EAE isness. Sure. Um, and specifically, um, you sent us uh, two two pedals to check out, which is and super generous uh, of you to send out. We tried them both. Um, the halberd, I think we're pronouncing that right. Is that yeah. right? Yeah, that's correct. basically it's a, a, a medieval weapon. Mm-hmm. And then the dude, incredible. Um, I just loved the name. I had, I've just like, oh man, that's dude, dude, that's incredible. I love <laughs> everything about that. I'm a name guy. Um, so maybe we'll jump into that in a second. But the one thing that caught Vince and I is we opened it up. The packaging was great. The, the, the boxing, the labeling, all the graphics, everything. But then we looked at the instruction manual. That's something that's kind of new to us. We kind of usually, you know, fafo things and try them out, but you had like impedance values in there and to, you know, some club members that might make a sense, make sense, but what do we need to know as a builder, what impedance values mean and why is it important to know on the pedal? Sure. So there's, there's a few layers to the impedance question. Um, and I, I'm not going to talk about the electronics behind it. I'm just going to talk about what actually, you know, a practical guitar player needs to know. Um, in uh, if you want to maintain the integrity of a signal across uh, many stages of circuitry. Um, it's good practice to do what's called impedance bridging, which means that you have a low impedance going into a high impedance. And what that means is, uh, you know, the signal is being transferred uh, as much of it as possible from one stage to the next. It's a reason why if you have a really, really long cable from your guitar, it's going to dull your tone because uh, you are, uh, you know, the guitar, a, a guitar is a high impedance output, which means that if it's connected to something, uh, that has any impedance at all, there's going to be a relationship between those. And so that's why if you've got a buffer that has a high impedance input, it is going to isolate the guitar uh, from everything else. And then the buffer has a low impedance output, which is then good at sending a signal to what's down the chain. And so if your general rule of thumb is going high impedance to low impedance when you're, when you're connecting a signal chain, that's usually going to be good for your signal integrity. Um, so the reason we publish those specs is to let people know um, that the input stage is guitar friendly because guitars are high impedance. They want to see a high impedance input stage. With some exceptions, there are some fuzz pedals that intentionally have a low input impedance and will sound a particular way. Um, 
but in general, you want it to be high impedance front end. Um, and then a low impedance uh, output, you know, less than a kilo ohm, which means that it can drive long cables. You can put a passive volume pedal after it, an active volume pedal after it. Uh, you can hook it up to the input of a mixer and it'll, it'll be generally behave. Um, it just means that it's going to be a good citizen on a pedal board. But in the interest of transparency um, and for people who for whom these specs might really, really matter, it's nice to publish that. Um, like one example uh, I'll give is, is actually this is another one from Hawker at Ashland Music Tools. He had a customer who uh, was using a banjo with one of his uh, analog delay pedals. And banjos have a piezoelectric pickup, um, which is even higher impedance than uh, what's on a guitar. And so the uh, the front end of his delay um, is high impedance, but it's not like crazy, crazy, crazy high. And so there was kind of a weird interaction between the two because the, the piezoelectric pickup, uh, the signal was being loaded down and it didn't quite have the full integrity. And it was making the instrument sound duller than it should have. So using a, a, a preamp that was designed for that type of pickup and then going down the rest of the chain restored the single signal integrity. But this is like kind of the same logic why people talk so much about buffers and uh, you know, like what that means and what those are for, especially if you have a lot of pedals in a chain. Awesome. We can, ver- we can, we can verify that indeed the Halberd and the dude incredible are really, they play, they're, they're great citizens on the pedal board. We tried them on both our boards and they're, they're awesome. So speaking of the Halberd, um, let's talk specifically about that. I know you, you talked about it's on your board and how you use it. So I think we're going to play a fun little round of favorite settings. Um, Vince is going to go first with his settings and talk about the guitar he's running on it. I'll go second with the settings I'm running and what guitar I'm running it with. And then you'll go third. Vince, um, what are your favorite settings and what, uh, guitar are you using? So I've got a PRS SE custom 24, um, humbucker pickups. And my amp is a TS 15 a or TS 15 H, um, similar to like a Princeton, but, um, I was running the halberd second in my chain behind, uh, a tube screamer style pedal, which I use, um, as a very, very light gain, but more of a tone shaper to saturate my drive chain. Um, cause I, I'm a very high gain type of player, but I like oversaturation, but I don't want, uh, I still want to keep a little bit of clarity. So it ends up being like a higher tone going into it. But, uh, I had it on the lower voice setting. Um, post was at about nine o'clock, nine thirty. Pre was at two o'clock. Tone was at two o'clock and depth was at two o'clock. And it was. Yeah. Well, and I found it weird that I, cause I tend to like, um, like a full sound, but I always have my tone kind of towards the treble end on most pedals that, um, I ended up liking the fat setting and it's probably due to just kind of where I had it in my chain and what it did to the signal. Um, but it was awesome. I mean, I, I loved it. Like the, it, it kind of, yeah, it, it had a full sound to it. it. It's kept its clarity. Um, it had a good amount of, uh, drive to it. Stack there is really cool. And it wasn't until Justin asked me about it and that I noticed like, the setting that I liked was like so many things at two o'clock that like, yeah, he went full, like the magic uh, setting. Yeah. He went full uh, Mick Taylor on that one. Yeah. Um, 
that pedal show. Like it was just like two o'clock, two o'clock, two o'clock, and then post to toast or post to taste. Um, so when I played it, the thing that really caught me was like, oh, just how like open it is. It's a very open pedal. There's not like a ton of compression. And so then I was like, okay, because I'm I'm in the search for this like world where I I have like um like a rhythm tone kind of like pedal and you know it, for a long time it was the JHS Morning Glory and then like I got really turned like Vince turned me on to the way huge Red Llama those are just very kind of uncompressed open pedals and I was like oh that's this is gonna play in that game for me so the so my, the guitar I was using is like my number one it's a, a Les Paul and it's got a really uh, bridge pickup that's kind of got a lot of treble content in it. And so, um, I was like, so I ended up running it mid forward. Cause I'm just like, like I live in the world of mids. Um, so the, the, the tone switch was up and then, uh, my pre, which is what I was con- kind of considering like a, almost like a drive, but it's almost like a bit of a kind of, I don't know, just, I don't want to say preamp cause it doesn't get Maybe it is a preamp, but it doesn't get really compressed. I kept that pretty low and then I cranked the depth way up and I turned the tone to about like nine o'clock. So I, and then I would just do post to taste. And what I loved about it was that, I mean, as much as, I mean, I don't really play out, but I do like the idea that I can control my, um, my, my drive with the guitar volume. So that's always been something I've been messing around with. And so what I loved about the Halberd with my Les Paul is that as I drew, as I turn my volume down, I could turn my tone up and retain kind of some high end content in, uh, like a, you know, let, you know, clean up pretty well. It was, um, a cool, like rhythm voicing, still very articulate, clear. And then when I was like, oh, if I want to get a little more crunchy and kind of dive into like a lead section or something like that, I was turning my guitar volume up and then I was able to turn my tone down. Cause there is so much like treble content in that. And it was just a really fun dynamic pedal to play with my number one. So I was like super stoked on that. So that's where I ended up, um, you know, with my favorite pedals or my favorite settings with my Les Paul. And those were going into like a Princeton reverb basically. Awesome. Where I are love you that. Where at, John? Well, I, uh, I have to say, I like how, how, uh, you guys are able to get good outcomes with very different settings. You know, that's, uh, something that's always hard to accomplish in a drive pedal. And, uh, I, I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad that it, that, it's working with like both ends of the spectrum because the the toggle switch, as you know, has like some very extreme voicings within it. Um, so for me, it depends on the guitar that I'm using. Um, I uh, you know my main my main guitars are uh, a couple of uh, aluminum neck Travis Beans. Um, one of them is the Travis Bean Standard, which has humbuckers, and the other is the Travis Bean. Uh, they call it the 500, which is uh, uh, single coils and. Uh, and so the, with the single coil one, I tend to run it with the toggle switch in the neutral position. And with the humbucker one, I tend to run it in the up position. So it's a little bit brighter and tighter. Um, usually what I'll do is I will, uh, I will, depending on the, if I'm running into like a big, loud, clean amp, I'll set the pre-control around noon or one o'clock. Um, and then, uh, post also to around noon to give it like a pretty strong volume boost. Cause I'm leaving this isn't always on. So I'm using it to hit the preamp tube. So the amp a little bit harder. Um, tone usually rolls back a little bit and then I'll actually use the depth as the gain control because the way the depth is set up is that it's, it's essentially a gain control just for the low frequencies. And so, uh, you know, that it's very interactive with the pre-control and you can just dial it in for whatever pickup you're using. Like if you're using a bright bridge pickup, more depth will feel good because it fills out the low end. If you're using like a neck pickup and it needs a little bit of cut, you can, you can roll the depth back and have that clarity and openness even on like a really dark neck pickup. Um, 
and this is nice, especially like if you're tuning down or something like that, um, you know, just it lets you maintain that clarity. So that's where I like to run mine most of the time. Um, my my number one amp um, is a Science Mother, which is kind of like in the high watt realm. Um, very, very cool amp. Uh, and uh, the clean channel on that is is like, you know, kind of gives you that like very responsive, like you're like plugged straight into the power amp feeling of like a high watt. But uh, with the pedal in front, you kind of get a little bit of extra compression. And so you can have very clean, clean, or you can have the push clean sound, even with like a hundred watt amp that's barely breaking up. Nice. Nice. Um, yeah. We just, we both love that pedal. It's just, it's, it's yeah. funny. Cause I, I, I got it first and I was playing and I was like, Oh, Vince is going to love dropping this switch. Vince plays. <laughs> yeah. Justin was guessing yeah. where I would like to play it. <laughs> yeah. I was like, this is where Vince is going to land. Um, so the next one you sent us was the dude incredible. And I went strictly by name but then after i was reading about it i was like oh so there's there's this there's basically two pedals in there right mm -hmm. i think or two two circuits yep and one is i'm guessing like kind of harmonic percolator is that kind of right or is that wrong yep absolutely harmonic percolator yep. so yeah the right the, the percolate channel is is based on a particular harmonic percolator that uh our technician miranda owns um which, uh, you know, like the, so the combination of the, the percolator and the IVP circuit is, uh, an homage to Steve Albini, uh, from shellac and he's produced a bunch of, of great, great records, but, uh, you know, his tone for that band is the IVP for rhythm sounds, which is this like jangly sort of cutting, you know, clangy tone. And then the percolator for just walls of fuzz. So you just turn both knobs up all the way, you turn it on, uh, your guitar plays for you. It's great. Um, but there's a lot of other fun sounds to be had in that combo. But that was where that's where the reference came from. Dude Incredible is a shellac album. It's like a it's a pretty blatant homage. Um, but uh, but that was kind of the idea was to like put these two circuits, which you know is a obscure fuzz pedal. Well, not so obscure these days. There's lots of great uh, boutique versions of it, um, and a very obscure rack preamp, which uh, we were the first ones to turn into a pedal. Um, and that still really hasn't I think seen the attention that that circuit deserves because it was it's a brilliant design. Um, but putting those two in one case to kind of get the interactions between the two, uh, was, was the goal there. Uh, this, yeah, we, we both loved it. I mean, we definitely got into guitar plays for you mode, which I think is a, aren't my new favorite word picture. Like it just, <laughs> you just like, yeah, let it go. Yep. Um, so we, we understand the percolator because I mean, our discovery with a percolator was um, we have one of um, like, I don't know, do you have, have you ever seen Analog Man's like vintage guitar effects book? Have you mm -hmm. seen that ever? Yeah. So that was like kind of, I think it was in there and I was, we, we, we read that, we just reference it every now and then we're like, oh, this is amazing. Um, I think that's where the harmonic percolator came in. And then like, there's a local shop here, um, Flipside Music, and we went in there and they had like a Frederick effects, I think, harmonic mm -hmm. percolator. And that I was one's like, very oh, good. Cause I, it's really good because if you listen to the podcast, you know, my board, like I have like an octave fuzz before all my gain stages. And I like kind of playing it through a blues breaker and then type of a clon type circuit is kind of where I love like my lead tone at. So I found the percolator and I was like, Oh, this is kind of that shinny super fuzz thing. But I don't, I mean, that's in my brain. I've kind of mapped them together, but you as a builder probably know they're very different, <laughs> but so I was like super stoked on the dude incredible. But then I read like the other side of it, the IVP, if you could just tell us a little bit about that, because I I also did research and Bob Weir was famous for using that. And I'm a big, you know, kind of um, dead, dead fan. So I was like, oh, what's what's the story with this preamp? Let's talk a bit about that. 
Yeah. So the uh, so the IVP stands for inter- the Instrument Voicing Preamp. It is made by this company called Intersound, um, which I think later got bought by Tapco, um, which is a little bit more of a well-known name. They were based in Boulder, Colorado, um, and in the seventies. Yeah, pretty cool. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is like oh, those are those are our people. <laughs> and in the in the seventies, they they made. Uh, a bunch of stuff. Not all of it is very well documented. They had the IVP preamp. Um, they had a spring reverb, which I also, I have, I was able to buy one, um, which is really cool. It's like a spring reverb with like a graphic EQ in it. Um, and uh, they also did some like cool utility things. Like there's this notch filter um, that just is like a really meaty sounding, like little boost EQ thing. Um, but the IVP uh, is interesting because it, uh, it combines this really dense EQ section. Um, there's there's four parametric bands, so you can you know boost or cut selectable, sweepable mid frequencies, um, and then that is going into this thing called the tube voice circuit. And the tube voice circuit is a really unique distortion generator. Um, you know, you feed a hot signal into it, and it overloads in a cool way, um, which you know it's just like it's very rich sounding. It's very dynamic. And if you push it really hard, it kind of like blows up and sags in a really interesting way. Um, and it uses a transformer as part of the sound. Um, and so the, the the transformer mostly is there to, to, to combine two halves of, of the signal, um, which are generated, which is generated by this distortion generator. And when they combine, it does some interesting stuff. But it also has the cool effect of limiting the bandwidth a little bit. So it's kind of shaving off a little bit of stuff up at 3K, you know, where it starts to get a little nasty and then it's shaving some like deep bass off. And so it just provides this natural roll off uh, to the to the signal. Um, all this to say, so this rack preamp was insanely versatile because you can dial in any tone with a graphic EQ or the parametric EQ, I'm sorry. And then you have this really unique distortion tone that you're able to tap into. But because the EQ is placed before the drive, you can choose what frequencies get distorted more than others. And so if you want that like cocked wah into an amp sound, it can give you that. If you want to blow it up with sub bass, it can do that. Or if you want to crank the treble and just like go screeching and clanging uh, into 90s noise rock world, it'll do that for you too. Now the flip side of this, and this is the Bob Weir side, is that there also is a really nice clean channel. Um, If you disable the tube voice or just run it really low, the EQ gives you the power to dial in all kinds of different clean sounds. And to, to my understanding, that was how that was. Obviously, this is not it's not a Bob Weir pedal. We can we can pretend that it can be one. And certainly the lower gain tones are very, are very pretty. Um, but he was using it in like the like dead flat clean channel, essentially as like a graphic as a really powerful parametric EQ to shape what was coming out of his guitar. So but there is gotcha. a lot of crossover yeah. between aluminum guitar people because because uh, Jerry used a Travis Bean for a really long time, but that's yeah, also yeah. like the guitar yeah. of choice for a lot of uh, you know like '90s touch and go record stuff, and of course like Sun, you know, in like the Doom world, and yeah. it's uh, it's it's interesting crossover. But um, but so we took the IVP and we basically said, okay, this for a pedal version, what is what are the most important controls? We're gonna do two voice because if you turn that down, it gives you cleans. Um, we're going to include the bass and treble controls because those are the most aggressive um, of the EQ controls. And then we're going to just dial in the gain range to be a little bit more friendly for the voltages that a guitar pedal is going to run at. And uh, and that's it. Like we editorialized it down to just be four knobs rather than the, let's see, like 12 knobs of the original in two channels. It's just, yeah. it's one channel. It's like, it's the soul of this forgotten piece of gear in a simple simplified format that you can put on your board. 
yeah, we Googled around the IVP and like the prices for it on reverb, like an original one are <laughs> mm-hmm. real steep. Yeah. Um, I was like, oh yeah, how does, that's interesting. The, the fact that you use the word editorialize, right? You just took what, what you felt was like the best parts of it and mm-hmm. made it into something that we as, you know, effects pedal board people can put on our, on our board. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that's, that's awesome. And, um, and we're, we, we've gone a little bit. Do you have a little bit more time? Cause we have some questions from the clubhouse that we want to run by you. And then we just got to do our closers. Oh yeah. Oh, I got all night. I'm, I'm chilling. Okay. Okay, cool. Cool. Vince well, is going to pull up a few questions we had from the clubhouse. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, it was, um, yeah, we posted that and we got a lot, a lo- there's a lot of questions coming in here. So I think you might've seen some of them, but, um, while Vince pulls those up, um, how are we feeling Vince? Yeah. yeah sorry. I closed it on accident. Found him again. Wow. But, uh, okay. We, or or mm-hmm. we'll need another Instagram lesson from John here how to retrieve the questions that we've asked. Yeah. Go ahead. Hit, well, us up. And, Hit us up, Vince. You know, some, some of these are comments I, I after like reading through them again, but I mean, um, I'm kind of just going to read them through in order. Uh, someone cool. said, uh, dirts, boosts, and preamps are wonderful. Um, and they're like, we'd love to see more interesting takes on modulation and time-based categories like the hypersleep in the future. They have. They say, "Is there anything cooking as far as that?" Uh, they said, "Maybe something phasery." <laughs> so the the answer is there's way too much cooking, and that's part of why we haven't gotten anything out yet. Um, you know, the uh, we need that snowstorm, John. We need I, that snowstorm. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, Come on, February. I uh, the the so we you know we. Uh, this I'm guessing you guys probably also got a question about sending V2. This is going to connect to that. Um, we definitely got something V2. And uh, and so so sending sending and I, I promise this will make sense in a second here. So sending was an analog delay that we did in 2018 that had tap tempo, and uh, it was very well received at the at the time. The biggest release we ever did. Um, this was when I was still like very much DIY, and uh, we built we hand built like 60 of them. Uh, me and and Brad, like my right hand guy, and then another friend of mine. Well, you know, we this thing was like way too many parts on way too cracked, really crammed of a board. And uh, I was like, screw this thing. I don't want to make any more. We're going to figure out how to get robots to build this stuff. And so that was when we started going to surface mount. Um, and I learned a lot of very difficult lessons developing simpler products. And then those and those things kind of built on one another. And and the end of this story is that uh, sending V2 has been in the works for five years. Uh, it was like a thing I was chipping, you know, working on and off. And finally, when I finished grad school, I was like, okay, I'm going to develop this thing. And I realized that I, there was so much that I wanted to do that I couldn't do. And so I had to get my chops up, but while getting my chops up, I was like, okay, well, we're going to fix, uh, all the problems on the long sword and do long sword version four. We're going to fix all the problems on the model FET and do, you know, like that latest version. We're going to fix all the problems in Halberd to do Halberd V2. And that was what we've been doing for a while. And so now um, we have everything we need to make sending except for the BBD chips, which are currently probably stuck on a boat somewhere or something. Um, but that is going to be our first foray into the, you know, the time-based world, the modulation world is, uh, you know, a platform where there's full MIDI control over everything. There's presets, there's tap tempo, there's LFOs, there's all of these like quality of life features, all these really modern things paired to more classic analog voice circuits. And that's, that's where we're trying to head. Um, but it's like, you know, it's like, it's like turning a, uh, a freight, you know, ship, like you're, you know, it's like turning a container ship. Like you're, you know, there's, there's so many little things involved in getting this right. And like, we've been working with a firmware guy for a year. We've been doing all this stuff and 
So like, uh, I'm very excited to move into that world. Um, but we've had to get a lot of kind of pieces. We got, we've had to stack a lot of dominoes, uh, to do that. But, uh, but gosh, yeah, I have, I have a lot of ideas in that front, but, uh, our first foray outside of drives that's actually going to stick and not be like hyper hyper sleep where it, it was like a, a flash in the pan is going to be sending version two. Um, space, space wolf is going to love that. Like, <laughs> space, that was like the first one we came in. Um, and then you did get a lot of compliments. What do we got next there? All right. So next, uh, Someone asks, will there ever be a laser-based EAE pedal? Something along the lines of Game Changer Plasma pedal, but with a laser inside would be fun. And I don't know what that means. Lasers. Maybe, maybe you get that what that's referring to. Yeah, so this uh, this is a callback to my past life as a uh, grad student. Um, I, uh, I, I, for my, my doctoral thesis, I was working on a project that, that involved a lot of lasers. Um, I was making a particular type of like optical chip and the way that you test it is by shooting a laser at it and seeing what comes out the other side. And so, uh, the, the, my, my entire, I'm hearing strong. Yes, there will be a laser based pedal because you're a laser engineer. (laughs) So the, the, the short answer is no, there will not ever be a laser based pedal because I think I have PTSD from grad school. Um, (laughs) But the long, the long answer, um, and the the really weird nerdy answer is that a lot of the mathematics behind um, nonlinear optics, which was part of my field of study, um, is very similar to the mathematics behind what happens when you take an audio signal and distort it. Nonlinear optics says, uh, well, sorry, let me connect to audio. If you take a, a a pure tone, a sine wave, right, like what's you know coming out of an instrument and you amplify it until it can't be amplified anymore it begins to distort the waveform which was a nice up and down nice and smooth becomes jagged and has rough edges to it it turns out that if you shine light at a material and that light is intense enough the material starts to distort and so what happens when you get a nonlinear signal is you generate harmonics and in the way that you can generate harmonics of a guitar signal to give you that richness you know like when you have a nice fuzz pedal and you play a power chord and you hear like the upper octave ringing out you know that's a that's a, a pure a pure harmonic and you can do this with light and objects and it can cause some really fun physics to happen and that was a big part of what i was studying back in the day so uh it seems like someone wants me to connect the dots there I'm never going to put a laser in a pedal, but, uh, I, the, there's, there's a surprise. If I can figure out how to write it up someday, I would love to talk about, you know, why, why is it that, that, uh, distortion and nonlinear optics, um, are actually kind of friends with one another. I think it's really cool stuff. That's uh, so that answers, that also answers the question of, or maybe addresses the fact that, oh, now we understand why you started a blog and then created <laughs> pedals, um, because, <laughs> And also why Vince and I will not be doing that. Um, that was John Tone. <laughs> oh, John Tone. He's, yeah. he's a good dude. He lived in Colorado for a oh, long okay, time. Cool, cool. Yeah, shout out to John Tone um, yeah. for that one. Uh, what else we got there, Vince? Cool. Uh, Dead Air Studios uh, asks more details on the new DIY PCB. Ooh. Oh, so, are you, do you know Dead Air Studios? Yeah, Will's a good dude. Um, he's uh, He's got okay, a studio. Yeah, yeah. He... They're uh, out in Western. He's out in Western Mass. Um Oh. And uh, he's made some great records. He's 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 a uh, very talented guy. Yeah, the um, like if you check out like if you're into like brand and graphics, like check out Dead Air Studios Instagram. It's Dead underscore Air underscore Studios. It is like the graphics in there on their Instagram is really amazing. 
Yeah, his whole brand is very solid. He got into, I think he got into building pedals over over COVID, um, and uh, has really made a strong showing of it. Um, I have his nice uh, generator eight, um, which is just this like you know it's like a multi voice synth oscillator and a pedal form factor. Um, very very fun and uh, great great design and graphics on it as well. We're very spoiled here in Massachusetts. There's a lot of talented folks. It sounds like it. So yeah. Anyways, uh, it, the, what was the question, Vince? Yeah, it was details on the DIY PCB. Yeah. So the uh, so we we do uh, you know in addition to selling pedals, we've got a few different DIY projects that we do. Um, sometimes discontinued projects or stuff that didn't quite make it to being a project. Um, it's a nice outlet for other things that we're working on. And the next one in the queue is. Uh, a, a clone of the Maestro Fuzz Tane, which is a pedal that I think people have largely forgotten about, even though it's a really just, it's a really interesting design. It's basically this uh, extremely squishy compressor going into uh, like a like a distortion circuit. And so uh, you just get this like, it's, it's very kind of like deep and bassy, but it's this like infinite sustain, like super crushed sounding fuzz. Um, it's really smooth. Like it, you can play like, it's great for like doom metal stuff. Um, especially if you're running it into like a loud amp. Um, but it also does like kind of smooth, you know, like fusion type leads too. Or at least I imagine it would, I don't play those styles, but you know, you can get nice like legato sounds out of it. And, uh, it's just a neat, it's a neat circuit. And I think folks forgot about it. And like, we could do like a production version of it and be like, oh, we're doing a, you know, uh clone of this thing, but I've got my hands full so I can just, you know, I can just get the design across the finish line and hand it off to folks who can build it on their own time. So, so that's the next thing in the oh, queue. Nice. I'm hoping to have that ready in, in a, a couple of weeks. I hope, um, oh, we'll cool. see if I have time to write it up. <laughs> I, I love the way you're doing. That's like a Tesla designing like electrical car engines and then just giving the patent away so other people can do it. Very yeah, cool. That's the, that's the idea anyway. Does that happen a lot where you like, you have an idea and you're like, we, we don't really have time to like, make this come to fruition but it's like the design work is done like see if anybody wants to build it type thing all the all the time it's something i'm trying to to do more of um you know especially because like with where the direction our products are going where there's going to be like a microcontroller brain kind of conducting the symphony that is out of uh that's inaccessible to a lot of diyers um and also like the you know the ip in like a typical fuzz box isn't very sophisticated stuff but the ip developed you know required to code up this processor and make it do everything we want to do is like a way bigger deal. Um, so, you know, it kind of allows us to, uh, you know, for me, pay my respects to the DIY world where I learned how to do a lot of things um, and give them interesting stuff to do. Um, and uh, so that's kind of the idea, but we have, so we have a DIY version of uh, two discontinued pedals of ours, one called the Beholder, which is this like fuzz reverb and another called the Mew Blaster, which was like a weirdo clean booster basically. Um, and so, uh, you know, if we, if we discontinue other pedals in the future, uh, they they will get in. They'll be put into consideration. I did briefly consider the Hypersleep for this, but because there are no more MN3011s, it just doesn't make any sense. So, it's uh, just kind of the nature of the beast. Sure. Cool. Uh, it looks like there are two more. Uh, one just has any thoughts on a new longsword version? Let's see. But, uh, did you say there's four versions out already? Yeah, so we that was your uh, original pedal, right? 
Yes, so that was like that's kind of you kind of call it our flagship. Um, version one barely existed. There are only fifteen ever made, um, and at this point, it's kind of more of like a museum curiosity than anything else. But you know, it, it was the start of something exciting. Um, version two uh, and version three are almost identical. Um, they uh, that was when we moved to like two foot switches. Um, V two the switch goes between like a, it's like a gain one, gain two, like preset type thing. Um, and then in V3, we replaced that with the boost channel. And so the boost channel, instead of just, you know, turning up the gain knob to like an internal trim pot, um, it uh, is a front end boost that tightens up the mids. And so you can get more of like a lead voicing out of it. Um, and then, uh, and there were a couple of other subtle changes. Like we, in, in version two, you could run it at nine or 18 volts. And then version three, we just said 18 volts only. Um, you know, it's done internally. And then for version four, we took V3 and we, added like soft touch switching and we just cleaned up the circuit a bunch and streamlined into this more like kind of modern uh thing so and there are there are subtle changes like i i there's like a there's like a a circuit that shaves off a little bit of high frequency stuff and i've gone back and forth on that a few times and um at some point um like after the first like few version fours that we built we changed the cutoff frequency of the treble control um, like if you play, if you play an old one and a new one, the, the old ones, the treble control is more in the mids and on the new ones, the treble control is more on like the edge, you know, the kind of like spicy sizzly stuff, um, which I think is more where it belongs, but, um, just a lot of little things like that. Um, the core sound has pretty much always been the same, which is, it's like, it's a big fuzzy kind of open sounding, but not as open as like the halberd, you know, drive with a really powerful EQ grafted onto it. Weird. Um, next one is from not John Denver. Uh, he says, dude, incredible. Oh, now awesome. that you say that out loud, Vince, I was like, oh, this guy's in Denver, but no, it's just not John Denver. <laughs> no, he's just not John Denver. Could be, yeah, yeah. It could be anybody just not done John Denver. Uh, dude, incredible is awesome. Uh, any ideas for a muff fuzz, uh, f- face or muff fuzz face type fuzzes in the future? Um, he said, everything you do is gold and would love to hear your take on classic with your twist. Well, that's a really nice thing to say. Not John Denver. Um, <laughs> I, uh, so I think, I think that, uh, I, I am interested at some point in being like, okay, here's what I would do to a, like a classic circuit if we could. But, uh, ultimately I think there's, you know, there are for most of those pedals, I can point to an example of that and say, nah, I'm good. Like this has been done right. Um, and uh, but if we if we do come up with it, with pedals like this, then I think it would be something that we do as a DIY offering. Um, or I might at some point be like, oh, here's a mod you can try. Like, uh, here's one for the nerds. Um, and I think I think Philippe from Caroline talked about this, but there's uh, a mod you can do in a big muff where you add one capacitor to the sustain pot, and it makes the low gain sounds really. It opens up the low gain sounds because instead of the the you know, like when you turn a big muff down, it's like kind of flubby sounding and like it just sucks all the high end out of it. This cuts some bass at low gain. And so you get more of like a, you know, it feels like a, like a dirty amp like tone sort of thing, but with kind of that rough edge to it. And then when you turn it up, you still get the classic big muff grind. So um, I could think of some things like that, but you know, other folks have tread that space so, so much and so effectively. And, and the market is so saturated with different kinds of fuzz faces and big muffs. Um, I'm trying to, I'm trying to stand out and do stuff that is, uh, that feels familiar, but is different from what's already out there. Right. I think there was one more question, right? Vince. 
Well, the last, a, he, oh. he had already answered it. It was just the sending B two, which he answered. Oh with no, the no, first no! One. We actually had one that was um. What are what's a what's a board for classic rock tones? What do you put oh, on? Oh, right, the ones from the other one. Yeah. So uh, yeah. yeah, basic must have pedals for classic rock. I'm a funny person to ask this question because I don't listen to a ton of classic <laughs> rock. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, I was like. I mean, to to be honest, uh, a, a plexi and a tone bender. Um, if you can't if you can't do, uh, you know, I guess it depends on what you call classic rock. I heard someone refer to uh, '80s music as classic rock the other day, and I'm like, mm, no. But <laughs> you know, it's. Yeah, uh, I don't think the I don't think it's like a sliding scale. Like it's not like a moving <laughs> milestone. Like it's it's '60s, '70s, right? In my world, '80s. But, I mean, I'm like, you know, is my is my is my nephew going to be like, yeah, my uncle listens to classic rock. You know, he listened to, uh, you know, I don't know, like I'm, he listened Nirvana. to Blink One Eighty Two. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. what is going on? Um, and uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, I think of. Uh, well, let's see. I guess my, my favorite classic rock tones would probably be, uh, you know, a lot of I really like a lot of the like Jimmy Page uh, live tones, which a lot of that was just Marshalls and tone benders. And then um, I also like a lot of uh, Pete Townshend live tones, which is just uh, super fuzz and high watt. Like if you can't get a good sound out of that combo, then, uh, you know, take your ball and go home. You know, it's just like it doesn't get any better than that. Yeah. Totally. Um, I think that gets us into our close, our quick closers here for you. Um, before I do that, I just want to throw it in the EA like um, workflow. Is big fan of octave fuzzes in like shinny super fuzz circuits. So if you're working on any of that stuff, you know, just please keep us in the loop. Um, you know, just kind of planting the seed right now. I have good news for octave fuzz fans. Um, that oh boy, will be. I, I hope. Uh, if certain shipments of certain closures get in here soon, I'll have some more info on that soon. But uh, I also love octave fuzzes, and uh, we found a way to do it that's different than how other ones do it. Um, and I'm very excited for people to hear it. Uh, well, you can just send me a PayPal invoice right now because <laughs> I, am ex- <laughs> I am real excited. Um, cool. So this is, I think this also answers the last questions or last person that that made that question about uh, classic rock any other you know favorite pedals or whatever and you know we always vince and i play this game on every episode almost and then we also text each other and the game is called i've got a space on my board so john you got a space on your board what are you filling it with going on it you know what uh, uh the space on my board that uh i'm gonna have to open at some point is going to get filled uh with a mask audio electronics maybe um and uh, if you if you haven't talked to Alec before, he is a delight. Uh, he's just a very animated, very enthusiastic, and, and very clever guy. Um, and uh, he makes this pedal called the Maybe, which is a combination of a fuzz called the Yes and a, and a fuzz called the No. And uh, it just it can do every kind of broken, loud, nasty, uh, splatty fuzz sound imaginable. It's very, very, very fun. Um, and uh, I could I can make a space on my board for that one for sure. I wish just, I, I wish just, everybody I could see know. how stoked Vince is right now because <laughs> oh uh, I remember discover like finding that pedal. I mean, obviously, um, John, you might not know, but I kind of got into guitar and pedals over COVID because I was I mean, I was a drummer. I always dabbled in guitar and could play very basic things. But um, like I was creatively blocked during COVID and I was like, I need to do something. And so. Um, I was friends with Justin, got me into guitar pedals. Anyways, I haven't been into it for that long, but once I kind of got into the world, I started just browsing everything and I came across his yes, no, and maybe pedals. And I thought it was just 
they're such a cool design idea and just very fun. And so, uh, Justin, I don't know if you've seen them, but you should definitely check them out. They're super cool pedals. Oh yeah. They're and awesome. It, yeah. Yeah. Um, the, like, in, long, long story short about Vince is like, we're buddies with, uh, Josh from JHS. And I was like, Oh yeah, my, you know, my buddy's really getting into guitar. And so he's like, you just sent us like a fuzz pedal just to give him, you know, as a, like, Oh dude, here's your, here, here's your gateway drug Vince. He just sent him like <laughs> one of his fuzz foot pedals. And like, mm-hmm. it's been like mind blowing ever since. Awesome. Uh, he sent me That's... like a welcome package that said, welcome, welcome to the package. dark side. Yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah, my buddy's a drummer's getting into guitar. Yeah, and sent him a welcome package. Um, so, um, all right, Desert Island Rig. One guitar, one amp, one pedal. What do you What do you bring in to Wilson's your audience? All right, um, <laughs> poor Wilson. He's gonna He's gonna die when he hears this rig. Um, it's gonna be uh, my uh, my Travis Bean my Travis Bean standard for sure. Um, yep. And, and then uh, for one pedal, I think probably. Well, this is gonna be really really tough. Um, hmm. I'm staring at so many pedals right now, trying to decide what uh, what one it would be. Um, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna take I'm gonna do my Caroline Wave Cannon, the V1, like the original one with the, the with the Havoc toggle on it, because that pedal. I wrote a lot of good songs on using that pedal, and I've gotten a lot more pedals since then, and haven't written as many good songs. So clearly, there's something in that pedal that I should hang on to. Um, and then uh, for the for the amp, um, my trusty trainer YBA one, uh, which I've turned into sort of a JTM forty five spec. Um, so it does the Marshall thing, but with those huge Canadian transformers and just like a ton of bandwidth. It just is a very rich sounding amp. Um, I love it. I love Desert Island games where like you already have the stuff, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like oh, you're yeah. like, oh, I'm gonna take my number one guitar and yep. my number one amp. Right. I just, yeah, I mean, just, it's, it's just, it's just a, it, I don't know. It's just a reassuring that, you know, I mean, you're a builder and like, you're not like, I mean, maybe you're, you, you also get gas and you're like, oh, I got to get that and that, but you're like, Nope, I know exactly what my rig is. And it's just a, it's a cool thing to be that settled and self-aware. It's good. It, it, you know, it, it's uh there are a lot of things that I want, but most of them are synthesizers. So, <laughs> you know, I feel like, I feel like, oh, in, no. I feel like in the guitar and in, in my, my guitar world is a, is a, a content place. Like all, you know, the, if I have, if I have gas, or something it's because i haven't designed it yet you know uh mm. and there are lots of things that i want to try and and use but i'm not i i i my phase of like you know like lusting after stuff on the internet is thankfully largely behind me in the guitar world mm. for now it's a nice I bet that's really like, nice yeah. <laughs> i bet that's really nice <laughs> <laughs> all right and then the last one is uh what's the club need to know anything any messages for the club whether it's favorite movies anything new from eae anything we need to know about Oh man. Um, well, I think, uh, oh gosh, <laughs> anytime this happens, I'm always like, well, I had a, I had a plug and I forgot it. Um, mostly just like, <laughs> thank you for, thank you for listening. Um, you know, we, we would not be doing what we were doing if it weren't for, uh, you know, folks who are checking out what we do and, uh, we're excited to make things that are a little bit different, um, and help people kind of make the best versions of the music that they're trying to make. So, uh, if you have not heard of us before, uh, please, please check out what we do. Check out our retailers. Uh, you know, we're, we're, you know, the, the market has, has kind of chilled out a little bit, you know, this after the sort of COVID pedal surge. And, uh, you know, we, we are trying to still be connecting with people and, 
you know, we want to be there when you make your next great song and your next great record and play your next great show. That's great. Can I also, I'll, I mentioned, uh, you mentioned on your website, you're like, if you happen to be in the area, let us know and you can get a tour of the shop. And I thought that was like such a cool thing because that's Justin and I talk about field trips and, uh, like things that we like to do with like, we have to travel for any reason. The first thing we do is Google guitar shops, pedal shops, pedal builders that are nearby to just try and like go see something cool in person. Um, and so like for people out on the East coast, if you happen to be in the area, electronic audio experiments, they have welcomed you. <laughs> I, I am very serious about that. We, we love having people over. Um, I welcome the distraction. Um, and, uh, you know, so we, we moved, we just moved into a new building in October, uh, cause the building we were in is getting knocked down because that's just how things are in Boston right now. It's just constant, uh, redevelopment of luxury housing. Um, and so, uh, the artist building that we're in is getting shut down. We moved, um, and we're actually upstairs now from, uh, synth cube, which is, uh, they're like a, they're like a synthesizer dealer, but they also have a, a nice pedal selection. Um, and they also, uh, are the owners of Small Bear Electronics, which was the site that I was buying parts from when I was getting started building pedals. Um, they used to be located in, in Brooklyn, um, Brooklyn, New York, and their owner retired um, and sold the company and SynthCube bought all the parts and all this, you know, there's, there's still so much stuff. And so we're upstairs in this big old warehouse building with, uh, with gorgeous windows and uh, just a little bit outside of Boston. Um, but if anybody wants to come by, we, we do love having visitors, uh, love just kind of chatting about this stuff. We've got a demo board people can mess around with. Obviously, not all of you at once, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, right, but right. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, like I think, especially especially these days, like you know, the and, and you guys hinted at this, like the thing that makes this community special is is that people are able to connect with one another so effectively, and uh, you know, it really is like a, a very social hobby, and it and it it's a very social job for me, and. Uh, the, the number one thing that we find out is people being like, I didn't know you were in Boston. We'll get an order from someone with a Massachusetts zip code. And they're like, I didn't know that you were in Massachusetts. And uh, I want people to know that we're here because, uh, you know, I, I the music is a social thing. Pedals are part of that. You know, the tools that you use to make music are part of that. And so uh, there's more than enough to go around. And, and uh, I, I like meeting the folks who, who use the stuff that we make or are interested in the stuff that we make. Awesome. Um, so we're going to close it out there and I guess, encourage people to visit you assuming that I guess you were just a self like, um, proclaimed synth addict who now has a shop above a synth store. So in case you, <laughs> hopefully you don't go bankrupt in the, you know, over the next couple of years while no, you're it's very, uh, it's very dangerous. your synth addiction, <laughs> it's very <laughs> dangerous. Um, yeah. Anyways, John, it was a uh, absolute pleasure uh you know years ago a search for analog uh reverb has brought us to this moment um and uh thanks a lot for being on and thanks for doing what you do it's just awesome it's a yeah. pleasure to chatting with you yeah thank you guys for having me i really appreciate the time and as we always say what do we say vince when we close it out go get that pedal <laughs>